Hi there, precious friends. As you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. The climax comes in verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, Love never fails. What does that mean? Get your Bibles and let's talk about it. We've looked very carefully at 1 Corinthians 13, haven't we? We've understood that the Corinthians had all the spiritual gifts. They had everything necessary to accomplish all that God wanted them to do. But there were divisions and quarrels and and they were proud and there was all kinds of conflict among them. They bragged about their spirituality by misusing and counterfeiting spiritual gifts. Their real problem was that they were lacking love. There were certain gifts that they thought were showy gifts, and they coveted them, fought for them, they quarreled for them. Paul told them in the first three verses of the chapter that even if they spoke with tongues of men and of angels and and had the gift of prophecy and understood all mysteries and all knowledge, and even if they had all faith and gave all their possessions to feed the poor and even became martyrs, all of that without love was nothing. Absolutely nothing. Then he described the qualities of godly love. Remember, this is agape love. It's a picture of God's love. And I want to read how the Amplified Bible translates 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. Now, we know that our English Bibles are not original. We know that the Bible was written in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew So we've had to have people, I don't know Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew, so we've had to have people translate this for us. Now, you know, when something comes to a translator, there's always a little bit of opinion, no matter how hard they try. So it's really good to study different translations and let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts about what he really said in the beginning. And so the Amplified Bible is a wonderful Bible to study from. I love to study from the Amplified Bible because it explains a word. You don't want to memorize from the Amplified Bible because the sentences are long. But it's a great way to understand more clearly what the original language said. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 7, the Amplified Bible translates it this way. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for and in us, I'm only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, that is the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose and understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge, And if I have sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, God's love in me, I'm nothing, a useless nobody. 
even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned or in order that I may glory, but have not God's love in me, I gain nothing. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, and does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. It is not touched or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it, pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. A lot to think about, isn't it? Then Paul says in verse 8, love never fails. When we read that, we think, well, I know a time in my life when love failed, blah, blah, blah. Well, what's he talking about? What's he saying here? This is an interesting word. This is a word that paints a picture of a flower. And a flower withers and decays and its petals begin falling off. And he's saying that love will never wither or decay. Love never fails. Love never withers away and decays and dies like a flower to us. Love is eternal. I want you to notice there in verse 8 the word never. Love never fails. Never does that. Why does it never fail? Because God is love. And God is eternal and love is eternal because love and God are alike. So he draws comparisons with gifts here. And what he's beginning to say is that, you know, gifts are temporary. Gifts are temporary. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge were vitally important to these Corinthians. They were craving them. They were going after them. They were trying to learn them. They were counterfeiting them because they weren't the real gifts. They were just performing them. And so they just saw that as the best thing. And they were after it. And so Paul says, these are not the most cherished gifts. They thought that these were the most cherished gifts. And it was coming from the pride of the Corinthians. So. The foundational issue here, the picture that Paul is painting, is that love is eternal, but prophecy, tongues, and knowledge are not. So all three gifts are someday going to cease to exist. And so Paul is saying, these things you're working so hard to go after, they're not going to last forever. The day's going to come when they will cease, but love will never cease. Love is eternal. So probing into the original language, doing word studies, we get this. Prophecy and knowledge will become useless and void and have no effect. 
tongues will come to an end from within, like a battery runs out of power. Now, it's not our purpose to dig through exactly what all that means. What we just want to know right now is that these things are not eternal. These things are temporal. They're, they won't be with us always. You know, many books have been written about the cessation or the stopping of spiritual gifts. Uh, in some circles, there's a great deal of controversy about it. I mean, there are a lot of people that spend a whole lot of time and effort thinking about that one thing. And we know clearly from this passage, it can't be misunderstood that prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will cease. That's what he says. They will cease. The real question is not whether they will cease, but when they will cease. Some say the gifts have already ceased. Some say that they will continue. Some say that they will continue until some point in the future. And so that discussion is not in the context of what Paul is talking about here. That's for another day and probably people that know a whole lot more about it than I do. But what Paul is saying is that the things that they crave, these showy gifts, these things that they were after for position so that people would notice them, so that they would have some sense of place and success spiritually. He's saying these gifts, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge are not forever, but love is. Love is forever. So he's drawing a comparison here. He ended chapter 12 by saying, I'm about to show you something more excellent than what your priorities are. I'm about to show you something better than what you are striving for. And then he shows them agape love. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is here. And he begins by saying, begins the letter, the whole letter by saying, you have all the gifts. You have everything you need, but you do not have love, and that makes you as nothing. There is no eternal value except in love. Love. So he says, love never fails. Love never fails. It never withers or fades. It is forever because God himself is forever. And then he explains what he means. He goes ahead and gives a description. He gives us some explanatory material about what he's talking about. So in verse 9, he says that gifts are not only temporary, they are partial. Look at it. Beginning to read in verse 8. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease, run out like a battery. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So he's saying that gifts are not only temporary, they're partial. They're partial. We know, did you see what he says? We know in part, we prophesy in part. He keeps using that word. Down there in verse 10, he says, the partial will be done away. Um, verse 12, he says, I know in part. So he's trying to make us understand that they're not only temporary, it's not all there is to it. So the Lord has given us all the truth in his word that we need to know in order to serve him, to live for him, 
in this life. This is everything we need to know about life and godliness. We do not, however, know everything. We don't know everything. We don't have exhausted information. This is what God gave us to use now, that we can understand now, that we can apply now. Finite minds cannot comprehend infinite truth. God is infinite truth. He says, this, I'm going to give you what you can take. I'm going to give you what, what fits for you. So we are limited to what God has revealed to us. His emphasis here is on the partial or incomplete nature of knowledge in prophecy. Why is it partial? Because prophecy and knowledge will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. They will be completed by that which is perfect. See, verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. It won't be in part anymore. It'll be the whole thing. So prophecy and knowledge are going to be fulfilled. They're going to be completed by that which is perfect. So when that which is perfect comes, everything that is partial or incomplete will cease. You might teach your child that two plus two is four. You might even teach him the multiplication tables. But that's not the same thing as knowing algebra and calculus and trigonometry and all of those other things is it. They know in part. And so as they grow, as they mature, as there's more to understand, there's much more to know. So we just need to settle down and understand that we don't know everything. We don't know everything right now. We may wish we did. We may think we do, but we don't. What is that which is perfect? He said, when that which is perfect has come, the partial will be done away. What is that? I believe that it is Jesus. There again, tons of books. People just camp out in this. And... Okay, I just simply, I'm simple-minded. I believe it is Jesus. It's going to happen when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus. Now, there's coming a day when we won't need any more books. We won't need any more Bible studies. We won't need any more sermons. We will have all of the information. We'll be right there looking at it face-to-face. -face. We will experience Jesus' completion and his perfection. And so Paul gives two illustrations to clarify this point. The first one is in verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a, chi reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. The child you once were emerged and found completion in your becoming an adult. Paul said that when he became a man, he put away childish things. Now, it's interesting that this word put away that he uses here is exactly the same Greek word used in verse 10 for the cessation of prophecy and knowledge. There's going to come a day when you don't need that anymore. That's going to be finished. It will be fulfilled. So there came a time 
when Paul's childhood was made complete or inoperative by his becoming an adult. It was all built in. It was the foundation of his adulthood, but it went away. Hopefully it goes away. We know some childish adults, don't we? That's not what he's talking about. He says, as a child, he was but a seed of what he would be as a man. And all these things move toward their unique maturity. Prophecy, knowledge, tongues, all of the other things are moving toward a completion. They're moving toward a maturity. And then he gives a second illustration. Look at verse 12. I'm going to first of all read it to you in this New American Standard Bible. Then I want to read you the verse in the Amplified Bible. Verse 12 in New American Standard says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. The Amplified Bible translates verse 12 like this. For now we, were, we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim or blurred reflection of reality, but then when perfection comes, we shall see in reality and face to face. Now I know in part, imperfectly, but then I shall know and understand fully and clearly even in the same manner as I have been fully and clearly known and understood by God. What a day. What a day. You know, there were businesses in Corinth where people made mirrors. So Paul uses this illustration because these Corinthians would know what he was talking about. Uh, they, they understood. And so Paul is writing around 53 or 54 A.D., that was a long time ago. And even then, people had mirrors. And so they made them. And in that day, they made them out of metal. And they would flatten out a piece of metal and polish it. And so you can imagine that looking into a metal mirror would have its distortions. So they understood what he was talking about. And so Paul's telling the Corinthians and us that right now we have a limited image. Right now we have a limited image. There is a dimness in what we can see and know now. The most mature Christian is but a mere child this side of eternity. We cannot see it all in this life. But when the perfect is come, we will see Jesus face to face. Eyeball to eyeball. And scripture says when we see him, we will have reached a new maturity and a new beginning. It's like, almost like a new birth, isn't it? Starting over. It's like the difference between seeing the reflection of something in water and seeing the real thing. Have you ever been, been somewhere maybe in the mountains and you can see a beautiful reflection in a pond of the mountains behind. And you look at the reflection and you think, oh, how beautiful. But then what do you do? You look up to see the real thing. That's what he's talking about. It's like the difference between 
seeing your loved one in a dirty mirror or a blurred photograph and seeing them in person. So in this life, we are limited to reflections and partiality. We're limited. But when the perfect is come, we will know as much as there is to know. Whenever and however we go to be with Jesus, Scripture tells us that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we reach our maturity in Christ when we see him. It may be at my death. It could be at the rapture, but we know that in the millennial kingdom, there will be preaching. There will be explanation of um, the gospel. There will be teaching, you know, so maybe we should just say whenever we reach our eternal state, however we get there, whether it's by death or by um, the rapture, ever how we get there, we will see Jesus. And whenever that happens, we will know as much as there is to know. I don't know if we will continue to learn more and grow more as eternity progresses in heaven. Ooh, I don't even know how to think about all of a sudden knowing everything at once. I don't know. But gifts... Paul's purpose in writing this is that gifts are for time. Love is forever. Gifts are for time. Love is for eternity. So what should be our priority? What makes sense? Where should my focus be? What should I be desiring? What should I be going after? Love. So Paul sums it up in verse 13. Look at it with me. But now abideth faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And now, right now, in this present time, there are three things. Faith, hope, and love. Now, it's interesting when we look at this to realize that faith and hope are temporary. Faith and hope are temporary because there's going to come a time when our faith will be realized. We will have everything before us that we ever believed. We won't continue to hope because that which we hope for is going to be there. So he says the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love is forever. Faith will be replaced by sight. Hope will be replaced by reality, it becoming reality. I may hope for a new car, but once I get the car, I don't have to hope anymore. And so he's saying that hope will be replaced by reality. Faith will be replaced by sight. Love will never be replaced by anything. Faith will be made perfect. Hope will be made perfect. What does perfect mean? Mature, complete, everything there. They will be made perfect. Love is already perfect. So faith, hope, and love 
are a unit. They're a team. And these three words are frequently found together in the New Testament. I just want to show you two or three scriptures where you can kind of see this concept. I'm going to begin in Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing to the Romans. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faith, hope, love. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I'll begin in verse 3. It's the beginning of the sentence. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Faith, hope, and love. They go together. They're a team. They work together. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God our Father. So it's not new that he would bring them together here uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me get back there. 1 Corinthians 13. What is faith? Faith is a firm conviction that what God says is true, and it is personal surrender to that knowledge. That's what faith is. Okay? Personal conviction, firm conviction that what God says is true and a personal surrender to that knowledge. Hope, biblical hope, it's not like our American hope where we hope so. This hope is confident expectation. Confident expectation. It is not wishful thinking. It's not, maybe he will, I hope he does, maybe it won't. This is confident expectation. It is confident assurance that God will be true to his word and his promises. So how does this work? Faith then produces hope. If I believe, if I have that firm conviction that what God says is true, then I am confidently expecting it to happen. That's what he's talking about here. Faith then produces hope. So my trust in the Lord My faith produces my expectations of him. But love, agape love, is the character of God that is absolutely essential to the Christian. 
It is the character of God himself, which is imparted to every believer the moment he or she is saved. What happens? That Holy Spirit is imparted to dwell in that believer the moment that person comes to faith, comes to agree, understand, be convinced of the fact that what God says is true, that God says that he is Lord and Savior, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and in faith I go and I say yes, and I personally surrender to what he said. That's faith. And so that is absolutely essential to be a Christian. And when that happens, the character of God himself is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. That's what it is to be saved. That is the moment of salvation. Listen, it is not an option. That what's, that's what makes us saved is the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Without that, we're on our own. So once I come to that place in faith, he's going to impart that Holy Spirit to me. Our gifts, our abilities, our ministries, our talents, our faith, all of these things are wonderful. They're important in this life. They're important to the body of Christ. But as important as they are, they're only for a time. They're only for a time. But love is forever. Paul begins chapter 14 with first two words. Pursue love. Pursue love. That word pursue is a strong word. And it means that with dedication and effort and intention and persistence, I am going to choose love. Now remember, I'm not choosing a feeling. I'm not choosing this, oh, I love everybody. Uh-uh. That means that I'm going to choose a behavior that suffers long and is kind, that does not envy, that vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not misbehave, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I am going to put on that. And when I do, I put on Christ. Notice here, he never says a word about feeling anything. And he does not say, well, if you don't feel it, it's hypocrisy. No, that's not what he says. He says, you do this. You choose. You make this choice. And here's what's going to happen. When we begin to make that choice, our feelings are going to catch up with it. Feelings come later. Feelings are the tail on the dog. They're not the dog. All right. And so we're going to begin to do that. So he says, you pursue love. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus a question, and it was to test him. Scripture tells us that. The question was, which is the greatest commandment? Which is the greatest commandment? What can I do? What can I do that is going to be the best. And Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, but the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Hmm. Paul said what? Love is the more excellent way. Love is what God is looking for. Love is what pleases Him. It pleases His heart. Love is what changes us. It changes our culture. It changes our society. Not because I like everything. It's not that phileo. It's not that feeling love. It is this choice of agape love. And we choose this love regardless of how we feel about it because that's what God does. While we were sinners, did God like it? No. Did he love it? No. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Love is the more excellent way. Paul says, pursue it. Follow after it. God bless you.